you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. When the wicked rise, people hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous increase. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied. And never satisfied are the eyes of man. The leech has two daughters, give and give. Three things are never satisfied, four never say enough. Sheol, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. All right, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Wonderful to be with you. If we've had a chance to meet, my name is Guy. Joy and privilege, as always, to serve as the pastor of this church, a church committed to knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. Special welcome if you're new, if you're visiting those joining us online. And also, a big shout out. Can we make a lot of noise for City on Hill Wollongong, who are joining with us live via broadcast as well. This morning, we reach the final message in our series in the book of Proverbs, Wisdom in an Artificial Age. And we're going to land the plane by talking about uh, a theme throughout the book of Proverbs, a significant one for us all, and it's a theme of life and a theme of death. As I was thinking about this theme in the book of Proverbs, uh, my mind uh, raced to uh, what is now a famous speech that Steve Jobs gave uh, a commencement speech to students at Stanford University. It's the year 2005, a couple years before the launch of the iPhone. And he gets up before you know, hundreds of students to share a bit about his life, a bit about his story. And, and he talks about how he went to university and really had no idea what he was doing in life. And so after six months, he dropped out. But kind of looking back, that turned out to be the best decision ever. Because when he's 20 years of old, as many of you know, he, he starts this little project uh, with one of his mates in his parents' garage. And of course, that little project is Apple, <laughs> which grows to be this huge uh, company. I think it's worth now, I read up, it's a net worth of something like $3 trillion and 200 thousand employees worldwide. I mean, just in, in, incredible. But, but here's where it, it touches me, listening to his words. It's not just his story of success and hard work and resilience, and all of that's really, really great and important. It's actually towards the end of his speech, where Steve Jobs opens up 
about the realities of life and the realities of death. Listen in to what he shares with these young, enthusiastic students. He says, When I was 17, I read that if you live each day as if it were your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. It made an impression on me. And since then, I've looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I am about to do today? Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help make the big choices in life. Almost everything, all external expectations or pride or fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving one what is truly important. And then he says this, your time is limited. So don't waste it living someone else's life. You might be surprised to hear this, but Steve Jobs has a lot in common with the father that we hear from in the book of Proverbs. As we've seen throughout this series, Proverbs is the image of a father sitting down with his young, enthusiastic, optimistic son. And he is eager for his young boy to live a good life. He doesn't want him to waste his life. He doesn't want him to wake up in a bed of regret. He wants him to live well. And so the young man is met with a question, which is a question that's before us all today. And that is, how do you live a good life? How do we make the most of these days that we have? This is a question we've explored throughout this series, and we've learned a great deal about living life well and what it means to live a full and flourishing life. As we land this plane, I want to leave you with four closing observations, four insights from the book of Proverbs to help us live well. If you're taking notes, here's the first. Number one, how do we live a life of purpose and significance? Number one, do something today that your future self will thank you for. Do something today that your future self will thank you for. One of the insights in the book of Proverbs concerns the relationship between our choices today and the future we will see tomorrow. There's a connection in the book of Proverbs between the choices we make today and the future we'll see tomorrow. So, for example, Proverbs 11 puts it like this. A a wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Truly, the righteous attain life, but whoever pursues evil finds death. Now, in the book of Proverbs, there are about 20 plus references to death and more than 50 references to life. And life, in the book of Proverbs, is more than a pulse. It's more than a beating heart. There's a distinction between existence and attaining life. 
When the father is talking to the son about attaining life, he's talking about that life of purpose, that life of significance and fulfillment, the the sense of freedom, the sense that you've arrived, the skip in the soul, the the joy. Uh, At the same time, when Proverbs speaks of death, it's, it's talking about something more than the event of death itself. It's not just talking about the gravesite or the tombstone, but the realm of death, the realm of disappointment that reaches into our life now. It's the domain of disappointment, the, the, the absence of purpose, the, the loss of meaning. If life is heaven before heaven, death is the hell before hell. And in Proverbs, note this, the author not only lifts up both realities, but makes the striking claim that life and death are paved on the road of our own choices, attitudes, and decisions. In other words, you are making choices now that are moving you toward life and blessing, Or, conversely, you are making choices now that are taking you into further destruction, further disaster, and further death. And this is what I find so insightful and somewhat countercultural. It's seeing in the book of Proverbs that the road paved, paved towards life, the road paved towards blessing, is almost always built on the bricks of wisdom, diligence, and hard work. The road towards life and blessing is built with the bricks of hard work, diligence, and wisdom. Right, think about all of the different topics that we have explored throughout this series, and you'll see that underneath them all, are the bricks of wisdom, diligence, and hard work. Think about it. It takes wisdom and hard work to tell the truth, to cultivate honesty in your life. It takes wisdom and hard work to build a decent career and to be generous with the things that God has given you. It takes wisdom and hard work to pursue justice, to care for the needs of the poor, the needs of those in the community. It takes wisdom and hard work to pursue meaningful friendships. It takes wisdom and and hard work to build a strong marriage and to remain faithful to your love. It It means hard work and wisdom to build a life of integrity before God that's honorable in His sight. Almost everywhere you look in the book of Proverbs, you'll see that the road leading to life, the road leading to Him, the road leading to that glory is paved with the bricks of diligence, wisdom, and hard work. Conversely, that which is easy in life, the shortcut, the path of least resistance, the choice that serves our temporary desires, comfort, and immediate pleasure is almost always the fool's path, 
leading to our own self-destruction and death. And so there is layered in Proverbs a warning for us all. There's a warning for us to be discerning, strike that, careful about the choices we make now. To be wise about the choices we make now, knowing that our choices today will impact the future we see tomorrow. One of my favorite novels, which I think illustrates this so well, is Oscar Wilde's uh, The Portrait of Dorian Gray. How many of you are familiar with the book? Maybe you've seen the movie, the stage play was out recently. Uh, Dorian, um, young, enthusiastic, wealthy, affluent, good-looking guy, has the world at his feet. A good friend of his paints his portrait. It's a stunning picture. It captures his beauty, but the longer he looks at the beauty, the more he's eaten up inside because he realizes that the painting will hold his beauty, but age will take his life and his beauty away. And he laments that. He grieves the reality of death. And so he makes a bargain with heaven. Let me live and make my own choices and do whatever I want and not wear the the, the strain of this world. Instead, let it be on this picture, be it on this picture, let it wear it. And he makes this bargain with heaven and he gets the deal and off he goes into the world. He pursues the many rooms of hedonism and pleasure. He does what he wants. He gets what he wants. He goes after what he wants. He ends up falling in love with this gifted actress And she's stunning and they're together in love and yet he takes his mates to see her at a stage production and she bombs and he's embarrassed in front of his friends and being the selfish man that he is, he just dumps her, treats her cruelly and he goes home that night and he's reflecting on his actions and he looks at the painting and what does he see? A sneer and a snarl. And instead of recoiling from his selfishness, he just goes more and more into his own sin and debauchery. And the more sin and debauchery that he goes into, the more this painting begins to distort and contort. And it becomes so grotesque that Dorian spends just as much time trying to hide the painting than he does pursue his own pleasure. Why does Oscar Wilde write this book? Because he himself has learnt that while sin and debauchery is pleasing to the eye, it's destructive to the soul. This is interesting to me because if you've been to church for any number of weeks, if you've read other parts of the Bible, you're going to hear things like sin is bad, it dishonors God. Right? So many books in the Bible are going to tell you that. Sin is bad, it dishonors God, which is true. Proverbs gives us a different perspective on that same truth. It says sin is stupid and it destroys us. Pleasing to the eye was the apple in the Garden of Eden. One choice, just a taste. Yet a brick leading to destruction. 
So what does that mean? What's the father in Proverbs helping the young boy take hold of? Son, take seriously your choices now. Do something now that your future self will thank you for. Stop being an idiot. Stop lying. Stop feeding your insecurities. Stop listening to those fears. Stop giving ear to those lies. Stop delaying your purpose. Stop being a slave to your flesh. And start being wise. Start immersing yourself in truth. Start surrounding yourself with people who will encourage you and build you up and sharpen the sword. Start seeking to be generous with the things that you have. Start laying down those bricks of wisdom, diligence, and hard work. That's the first observation. Second, guard your heart. Proverbs 4 Verse 20 says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You might want to underscore those words. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, we often think in our generation of the heart as a person's passion. You know, they put their heart into it, which is like, put their passion and energy. In the ancient world, in Proverbs, the heart speaks for the essence of a person, the soul of a person. It's Yes, it's about emotions and desires, but it's also the seat of decision-making, the seat of the person's will. And and you see what the Father is saying. He's pointing out that everything we do in life flows from here. Everything you think, everything you do, every choice, it it flows from here. When I was a kid, uh, I often heard the saying, uh, the suit maketh the man. Anyone hear that growing up as a kid? I was like the one kid, two people, great. Right? The suit maketh the man. And, And it's no surprise that we have slogans like this because our culture is obsessed with outward appearance. We invest so much time, so much money, uh, trying to project a particular image. And, And let's be honest, religious people can be some of the worst. They just have different categories of what looks impressive, right? In Jesus' day, an entire religion was built with people who projected this outward appearance. But according to Proverbs, that's not what makes a man, that's not what makes a woman, that's not how life works. The heart is what matters. 
It's the heart that will determine your steps. It's the heart that will define who you are and how you will act and where you go. In the same way you might see a plane flying through the night sky and you see the wings that give it some direction and the the tail that helps navigate. At the end of the day, though, we know it's the cockpit that that serves its destination and its direction. It's the cockpit that, that dictates where it will go. Your heart is the cockpit of your life that determines the direction, the destination that you are heading in. Jesus makes the exact same point in the New Testament. Jesus says a good man brings good things out of the good stored up where? In his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stirred up where in his heart for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Think about that. If you allow negativity uh, to take root in your heart, if you give oxygen to those lies, if you allow those lies to burrow in and calcify, if you tolerate false gods, make room for worldly ambition, if you let them into the cockpit of your life and give them the wheel, then it's only a matter of time before those lies, negativity, false ambitions, counterfeit gods to direct you to destruction, darkness, disappointment, death. But if you protect your heart, if you invest in your heart, if you pursue wisdom, if you allow God's word to take root, if you start immersing yourself in the spirit of God and the things of God, then your heart and life begin to soar. Why? Because everything you do flows from this. And so what's the application? Really, it's right there. It's simple. Above all else, guard your heart. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word guard your heart. I picture a bouncer at one of the nightclubs in the city out the front dictating who gets in and who stays out. What are they, like six foot eight? Sleeves, tattoos, more muscles than neck. Like one of those guys. Guarding who gets in and who stays out. The father's saying to the son, you need a guard like that in your life. You need to be a guy who guards. That you welcome in what is good, what is godly, what is going to direct you toward the future that God has for you. You need to welcome that in and what is not good for you. What you know is going to steer you away. What you know is going to corrode the soul, eat at you, bring you back, hold you. You need to guard and say, keep out. So practically, when you, you see an opportunity to grow in your faith, you welcome it in. When you see an opportunity to immerse yourself in God's word, saturate yourself in God's spirit, to be in step with God's will and God's, 
You open the door, you welcome it in. I need more of this in my life. I need more of God's word, more of his spirit, more godly friends. I want to welcome that in. But when, when lies and half-truths come knocking at the door of your heart, when the appeal of worldly ambition, when the appeal of worldly sin comes knocking at your door and part of you is like, man, it's appealing to my eye. You don't welcome it in. You don't offer it scones and tea. You send in the bouncer. You lock the door. You guard your heart. This is where Christians, and I'm speaking to the Christians at this point particularly, this is where you need to be discerning about the company you keep and the content you consume. If you're a Christian here, you need to be discerning about the company you keep and the content you consume. And we've talked a lot about this idea of friends and the influence of the company we keep, right? Bad company corrupts. Hang out with three morons, you'll be the fourth. You need to be discerning about the company you keep, the people you surround yourself with, the people you look up to, listen. You need to guard your heart. And at the same time, you need to be discerning about the content that you consume. Um, I remember, and this is like a flash, a throwback, but I remember years ago, I can't remember how long now, when Game of Thrones came out. Does anyone remember when that came out? Anyone? No one's going to say that. Years ago. Eight. Did you say eight years ago? Wow, that's very precise. Pretty (laughs) So Game of Thrones comes out and people are going nuts. This is the best show. It's amazing. And people particularly, because they know I'm like, I'm into like movies and drama and all this. They're coming up to guy, you are going to absolutely love Game of Thrones. This will be, Christians are telling me this, this will be your favorite show. I'm like, all right. So I sit with my wife. We put on Game of Thrones. I think it was 18 sex scenes before I turned to my wife and she turns to me and we're like, is, is this appropriate? Is this helpful? Right? Like, I'm, I'm pretty culturally engaged. But there comes a point in time where you're watching and consuming content where you need to ask a, que- a question is this good for my heart? I, 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 apparently there's a book you can read. Maybe that's better. But basically Game of Thrones is porn with a plot. Is that going to be good for my thought life? Is that leading me on the bricks towards life and blessing and godliness? Or is that actually going to take me somewhere else? It might seem like a small thing, but remember small things become big things. Is this Now, we don't need to be legalistic here, but we do need to be wise. Now, something like pornography is very obvious, but I'm sure right now there are a lot of things knocking at the door, trying to occupy just a spot, a seat in your heart right now. 
It could be that ongoing gossip of a friend, that relationship that just seems to be always about talking about other people. And it could be something good like your job, but you just know that's become your idol, a distraction, a barrier. It could actually be something spiritual. We know the evil one is an accuser, the father of all lies. And for whatever reason, that door in your life is ajar. And just it's just feeding that insecurity and self-doubt. It's holding you back. You know Jesus, you've given your, and yet you're still sitting in a sense of condemnation. It could be a toxic relationship. Man, you're very attracted to being with this person and yet you know it's just, hey, man, this ain't good for my soul. It's not leading me the right way. It's leading me over here. I mean, it could be any number of things and it's a moment right now just to reflect in your life and to consider what, what's knocking on the door of my heart? What do I need to let in? And where do I need to guard? Say, so, yeah, this is hard. I don't like shutting the door on this because it is pleasing to my eye and it feels good. But man, I'm thinking about my future. I'm thinking about where this is taking me. I'm thinking about what matters above all else. I'm thinking about my heart and so I'm going to guard. Third, lean not on your own understanding. One of my favorite proverbs is Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. It's kind of the one you'll see at Kurong somewhere on a poster. Here it is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Now, it is important to be self-aware, to own your own voice, I don't think that problem, we keep it up for a little bit. I I don't think it's saying, you know, be a slave to other people's opinions and ideas and live based on other people's expectations. No, Proverbs is going to tell you to own your voice in lots of different ways. But what the father is saying to his son here is, mate, develop, (laughs) develop a posture and a mindset of humility, And we could really look at any parts of Proverbs to see this, but you want to walk toward life. This is going to be countercultural, but up is actually down. (laughs) You need a posture of of a posture of humility here, right? So, in contrast to the fool who only ever listens to themselves, wisdom walks with humility. Uh, This is the man or the woman who says, I don't have all the answers. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. You have a posture, an openness toward God that says, hey, I don't have all the answers. There's still more for me to know. And I'm eager to learn. I'm hungry to learn. I'm I'm eager to fill the gaps in my life with more knowledge and more wisdom. 
I know that when I um, planted this church, um, I was incredibly green. Uh, I had so many gaps <laughs> as to what it was required when it comes to leading anything. Uh, I wasn't a total moron. But there were just many things that I didn't know. Many things that a degree at Bible college don't teach you about the complexities of leading other people, particularly something that grows. And you know what helped? Uh, what continues to keep my head above water? It's just having a few good and godly friends slash mentors slash wise people in my life who love me enough, love the church enough, who are willing to workshop, workshop ideas, share from their own experience, pray, share wisdom from the word and help navigate the journey ahead. I, it just pains me when I meet, and honestly, this happens actually with other ministers. It pains me when I meet other ministers who are trying to do it all in their own strength. People who think that they've got it all together. I mean, clearly none of us do. And, 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 and this is a principle that doesn't just apply to our professions, but to all of life. How amazing to know that whether you're trying to navigate marriage or singleness or friendship or uh, family or balancing a budget or like in all of those areas of life, wisdom is found in humility to say, I've got more to learn. You might be great. You might be crushing it in some areas. Guess what? You've still got more to learn. How good it is to be in the body of Christ because here are people with different experiences, different gifts. Bring that wisdom together. Don't draw away from wisdom. Draw to wisdom. Of course, in Proverbs and in this particular verse, the call is not only just a humility before others, but a humility ultimately before God and a desire to seek God's insight and a desire to seek God's wisdom and to know Him. Um, I love chapter 3, and uh, the Father says, By, look, at, look at this. <laughs> oh, so good. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, He set the heavens in place. By His knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the Jew. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you. An ornament, an ornament to grace your neck. It's, there's lots that we could say there. Um, the world itself uh, created with design, thoughtful design by a heavenly God. Um, this world around, the Father's helping the Son see, this world around us that we're all interacting in didn't come from nothing. Uh, the stars above, the sun that rose so beautifully this morning, human life is not some accident. It's not randomness upon randomness. In all things, above all things, before and after all things, God 
He made this world thoughtfully in his wisdom. He created it. And I know for some of us here, that's a radical idea. How do we know? And like, there's all of those questions and they're good questions to interrogate and and explore. But just, just go with me for a little bit. If it is true, if it is true that God made this world, and I'm convinced he did, if it is true that God made this world, then there is an invitation before us all to go to God, our maker, to understand this world, how it works, what life was purposed for, to find the answer, the yes, the understanding, the wisdom in him. He has a way. Think of it like this. A few years back now, I was uh, speaking at a church camp. I think it was Phillip Island. Kids were there. My wife was there. Uh, the end of the, the, the camp, kids are desperate to get home. We chuck them into the people mover and we drive down the, the freeway on our way home. I pull into the local BP, fill the tank up with diesel, petrol, and uh, off we go. Does anyone have a, a car that takes diesel, petrol? Yeah, a few, few hands, gives a bit of extra grunt to the car, which is great, except my car doesn't run on diesel, petrol. Uh, it, it, it runs on unleaded. And how did I discover that? Because all of a sudden there's this like smell coming out of the back of our car and the kids are like, what's that smell? And thankfully it wasn't me this time, but black smoke starts puffing its way out the back. And then I'm bunny hopping down the freeway, like a 16 year old on my learner's plates. And eventually we come to a grinding halt. What kind of moron puts diesel petrol in an unleaded car? Me. Uh, That's who does, right? Uh, Now, here's the simple observation to make here. Um, When it comes to the petrol pump, you've got free will. (laughs) You can put in whatever you want to the car. It's up to you. I'm not going to stop you. No one else is going to come up with a red card. You can put into the car whatever you want. But might I suggest something radical? There's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. There's the right kind of petrol, and then there's the wrong kind of petrol for the car you drive. Here's an even more radical concept. What if this world wasn't just this random free-for-all, but there was actually a right way for things to happen in life? What if there was a right kind of way that we should approach and view our work? What if there's a right kind of way that we should treat other people? What if there's a right kind of way that we should respond to the needs of injustice? What if there's a right kind of way to be thinking about wealth and possessions? What if there's a right kind of way to be thinking about marriage and sex and Now again, you could go to the petrol pump and say, "Well, this is my life. I'll do whatever I want." You could do that. But what if there's a right way and there's a wrong way? What if there's the path of foolishness, which is tethered to our own independence and I get to do it my way? Or what if there's God's way? Surely, if God made this world and God cares about this world and God cares about you, then wisdom is a path of humility that says, God, I, man, this marriage is tricky. Can you, can you show me in your word what wisdom would look like in the midst of this? 
my job, man, it's challenging. I just pushed and pulled with so many different emotions. Lord, could you show me really where I need to place work in my life? What about money? How do I deal with money? It's so attractive, but sometimes I feel like I'm a slave to it. God, do you have wisdom? How cool that God in his mercy and kindness gives us the Bible to learn the way of wisdom and that we can keep learning and enjoy that learning. Lean not on your own understanding. I'm going to land with a final point, which I'll make brief. Drink freely from the fountain of life. Proverbs 14, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The one may turn away from the snares of death. So throughout this series, we've seen that Proverbs is a treasure chest of wisdom on how to live well. And of course, we've learned about the significance of pursuing good friendship and the power of words and the importance of working diligently and developing healthy attitudes towards wealth and possessions. But one of the big problems is recognizing that prosperity and success and a great career and even a great circle of friends doesn't equal a meaningful, successful, joy-abounding life. You can have a great career, great friends, great wealth, but that doesn't add up to a deep, satisfying life. Why? I remember um, an interview uh, with an actor named Josh Radner. Um, some of you will be familiar with his work. Uh, he, he, he loved his craft and he loved acting. He, he says this, he says, I fell in love when I was 16. It wasn't with another person. It was with the theatre. You may have heard the phrase, the acting bug. Well, I got hit particularly hard. Acting was my passion, my obsession, my mistress, and eventually my wife. He gives it his everything. And then one day he strikes gold. He shares how he was cast for the TV show, How I Met Your Mother. Remember that TV show? Any fans? Right? Uh, Global success. He goes from being this struggling actor to an A-list celebrity overnight. He wakes up to fame. He wakes up to fortune. He wakes up to his dream. But I love this moment of realization. He says this, When the popularity was at its peak, an aspiring actress came up to me and said, Are you just happy all the time? It's an honest question, because that's what most of us believe. We tell ourselves, if we could just land that dream role, land that promotion, get into that company, be with that guy or that girl, if I could just, then I'd be happy all the time. Josh says he laughed at the time, but the joke was ultimately on him. Why? Note these words. He said, I had bought into the not uncommon notion that when I taste taste success, when I get over there, then I'll be happy. But the strangest thing happened. As the show got more successful, I got more depressed. Man, I love his honesty. Very rare to hear people talk about what's really going on. The more I entered success, 
The more I saw my dream come true, the more empty I became. How can that be? This is where Proverbs is so transformative, so powerful. Because amidst all our searching, amidst all of our working, amidst all of our strike, uh, serving, the, the, the father says to the son, son, the fear of the Lord Right, A right relationship with God, a worshipping of Him is a fountain of life. You hear what he's saying? Life isn't found in landing the dream job. Life isn't found in fame and fortune or that partner or that experience. Life, listen, is found in God and God alone. You can have everything of this world, but without God, you have nothing. Wealth minus God equals nothing. Knowledge minus God equals Nothing. Justice, friendship, marriage minus God equals nothing. Or let's just flip that for a moment. You might be struggling to pay a bill. You might feel like you're swimming in debt. But if you have God, you are what the Bible calls rich. Rich in the things that truly matter. You might have struggled in your education swimming around, not sure of your purpose, and maybe you're in a job that isn't that satisfying. You're not where you feel you would like to be, and yet you know God. You're drinking from His fountain. You have life. You may have the worst friends, gossipy friends, disloyal friends, friends who eat food with their mouth open, friends. Man, you have Jesus in your life. <laughs> you got the best friend. You might be struggling with relationships. You've never had the opportunity to find the one. <laughs> or maybe you're married and it started off great, but it's just fallen apart at the seams. It's not what you'd hoped for. It's not what you dreamed for. And yet... You get to drink from the fountain of living water. Don't ever, if you're a Christian, don't ever tell yourself that you're missing out. I'm not saying that life is rosy and everything goes exactly how you want. I'm not saying any of that. But in Jesus, if He is in your life, if you're drinking from the fountain, you lack no good thing. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus, the Word made flesh, the wisdom of God revealed, pursuing us even in our folly, even when we were building those bricks towards destruction. He comes and rescues us and offers us living water. He offers you a depth of meaning. He offers you a depth of purpose. He gifts us forgiveness. He gives you hope. And so wherever you are today, as we close this series, let me call you to, to drink freely, to draw near to God. You might have been coming to church for a long time, and yet you feel dry. 
Make a decision today to open up your heart and soul and to invite God's Spirit to fill you afresh, to immerse yourself in the promises of God, the Spirit of God. You might be new to this church thing. Don't sit on the sideline. Don't watch from a distance. Know that you were made by God and for God. And he wants you to encounter the beauty, the truth, the relevance of Jesus. If that's you, man, we'd love to support you in taking that step to drink freely from the living water. I want to give you a few moments to stand and stretch, and then we're going to jump up for some Q&A. Thanks for submitting some questions. Uh, We've got some great questions. We've got time to answer a few of them as we bring together this this final uh, week in our series of Proverbs. So we're just going to dive straight in. Question one, how can I discern whether the desires of my heart are God-given or not? Great question, Guy. Yeah, I think that's an excellent question because we know that when we become a Christian, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to work in our life. And a process, what theologians would call is that a sanctifying work of the Spirit begins. Uh, And yet in the New Testament, we we know that that can be a struggle. There's a wrestle that takes place between the old self and the new self, all of which to say it can be tricky sometimes to to discern uh, what we should go after. Um, A few quick points then, Steph, you might want to build on it. Um, Number one, immersing yourself in the Word. So, So reading the Bible... Uh, and holding up uh, the scriptures. So, you know, reading, for example, the New Testament, uh, the Gospels, the Epistles. Uh, I think the more and more I, when I became a Christian, the more and more I read the Bible, the more and more I became uh, familiar with the life of Jesus and the calling upon us all, what it means to follow him. So that would be my first point. And the second would be, of course, find other Christians in your life who you feel are seeking to follow Jesus. Not asking you to find perfect Christians that don't exist this side of heaven, uh, but find wise, mature Christians in your life. This is where gospel communities that we have at City on Hill can be a great resource for you to say, hey, I don't know, is this okay? Is this not okay? What do you think? And then just opening that up. Yeah, that's great. And sometimes I think our hearts are complex, so it's hard even to know your own heart. Um, and there's often, you know, mixed motivations there. Sometimes your mind might be, you know, godly desire. You're pursuing something because you, you want to honour God. But there's also part of you that might, you know, might be for selfish gain. And so I think um, sometimes when even your heart's hard to read, um, a great prayer to pray I, that I, well, I like to pray is, hey, God, I don't know um, the depths of my heart. You do. But whatever decision I make in this, may it be one that's just in line with your will. And if it's not, would you disrupt that? If it is, would you just take it and honour it and bless it? One of the Proverbs that I love is um, 16 verse 3. It says, submit whatever you, uh, whatever you plan to the Lord and your plans will succeed. And just that love that um, his ultimate desire for us is, is to submit whatever we do to him, to give it to him and ask him yeah, to bless it. That's great. It. Uh, question two. Let's dive in. The path of wisdom and life sounds hard, requiring diligence, strength and a perfect walk. But to be honest, I'm not perfect. I'm weak. I'm lazy and sad sometimes. What hope is there for me? Thank you for that honest mm. question. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for that question. Um, some of these questions, of course, require proximity and closeness to know um, 
the depth of what we're talking about here and the reality. Um, I, I would want to encourage you uh, to know that, A, you're not alone in that struggle. Um, I don't think any of us just constantly can move forward with hard work and diligence. I think all of us, to varying degrees, will struggle with the sense of our imperfection and awareness of our uh, weakness and even the sorrows of life. Uh, Christians uh, throughout cultures and different generations have struggled in those things. One of the things I would encourage you, and there's lots that could be said, but one of the things just to encourage you is that God's people have always been aware of two things. One is their own weakness, but also the strength of God, which is made perfect in the midst of our weakness. And so rather than letting your, um, in this case, the words of weakness and sadness and imperfections draw you away from God, might I encourage you to bring those things to God and say, Lord, could you use these things to create in me a life um, of honor towards you? Uh, You want to be careful here that you don't start comparing yourself with other people. God has a particular plan for you and a purpose for you. Uh, And that can be achieved. That can be accomplished with the power of the Holy Spirit. So, yes, there's going to be hard work. and, and, And sometimes that's about just taking one small step forward, one choice of wisdom, one choice of strength. But ultimately, as a Christian, we're submitting ourselves, surrendering ourselves to God, trusting that his power is made perfect in our weakness. Amen. That's great. Let's dive to our third question. And this will be our final question for this morning. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6, what does paths straight mean? Does this mean that everything will go right if I submit my plans to God? What do you think, Steph? (laughs) Um, well, I guess it, it, it kind of depends on what you and the Bible views as right. And, you know, I love, Guy, the point that you landed on, um, that as we fear the law, that's the fountain of life. That vision of life that is offered to us in Jesus is so rich, so beautiful. As, as Guy shared, it's not that everything will end up rosy or even as we hoped or intended it to go. Sometimes we're going to experience heartache, um, sometimes we're going to experience trauma, uh, sometimes things are going to happen to us that come from left field that we didn't hope for. Or, and yet in that, the one who sets themselves on the path of life, fear of the Lord, of trusting in God, knows that there's a hope that we have in the midst of that. There is a promise of God's love or his faithfulness, of his presence of his care, of his kindness, of his daily mercies, and you know, ultimately at the hope and the promise of life forever with him. Um, a beautiful picture of you know, the kingdom of, of God to come, where there'll be no more crying or, or mourning or pain. The old order of things has moved away. And so um, path straight, I think, I think that's the path that we're on. Um, and uh, as God, that God has revealed his wisdom in creation, I think there are decisions that we make that reflect our experience and our walk with that God and we see his blessings in this life. Yeah, spot on. I mean, the verse that comes to my mind when I read that question is where, you know, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so when when a Christian is to think about what does it mean by a straight path? Because that's quite conceptual in Proverbs, but it, it's, it's yeah, physical and very evident in the life of Jesus what he meant. And so exactly like what you're saying, Steph, it, it didn't mean that the disciples had an easy life. Yeah. Uh, they're often hunted down. Sometimes they're in poverty. Sometimes they're being persecuted. 
but they absolutely had a life of depth and a life of um, uh, meaning and significance and indeed joy, so much so that Paul can say he's rejoicing in his sorrow. So I think when it's talking about the, the straight path, it's thinking about the, a life of, of depth and meaning and honor before God. And for the Christian, that answer is found in Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. That's a great vision for us to close on. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to spend a moment in prayer. Uh, our service today is slightly longer, so parents, after I pray, that'd be a great time uh, to head and uh, over to City Kids and, and collect your kids. And um, but let's pray together, and we'll we'll continue in worship. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this path of life that you have invited us into. How gracious you are that in the Lord Jesus, though we are weak and though we are broken and though we are sinful and we have turned away, that there is a way. There's a way to know you. There is a way to know your blessing, your faithfulness, your goodness, and your joy. Lord, thank you for all that you have done through this series in Proverbs. Will you equip us and strengthen us, embolden us to be people of faith who make good decisions that honour you, that reflect your beauty and your righteousness and where we experience your blessing and your joy. May we be a people who honour you and live the path of life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.